Welcome to the Infinite Spark of Being podcast. My name is Keith Welsh, and in this episode, I'm going to talk to you about my own personal practice. Um, Many of you have a lot of questions about what that looks like, how often I do certain things, when I do certain things, Um, and so I thought I'd elaborate on it a bit. Um, Some of it, I think you'll be surprised what I consider spiritual practice. Uh, but before we go too far, I would like to remind you that if you're interested in supporting this podcast through Patreon with a $1 a month or $5 a month donation, there is a link on the website. Uh, there are also links to the books, apparel, um, stuff like that at theinfinitesparkofbeing.com. Also, I'd like to put it out there that if you'd like to see another Patreon tier that maybe had an option for a monthly one-on-one session where we could talk we could sit, we could process, whatever. Um, I'm taking suggestions. So with all that out of the way, let's get started. So I'm going to start with a brief list or overview of the pieces of my practice and then go back and expand on them a bit. Um, So first, I always start with pranayama or what some of you call breath work. Uh, And what that looks like is kapalabhati, alternate nostril breathing, uh, spinal breathing with ujjayi, and then shamatha. And that's my very basic daily regimen. Those things happen at some point in the day. Um, I'm not always consistent with the time. Also, of course, mantra recitation is a big part of my life from the jump. It's a huge part of my practice. Um, It's done throughout the day, but I definitely find time to sit and simply chant as a meditative practice or walk and do japa. Um, Hatha yoga is in there as well uh, in the form of just basic sun salutation. I also consider running and working out to be a vital part of my practice. I believe that pushing my body to do difficult things is good for the nervous system. Um, And finally, the writing exercise that I mentioned in a previous episode. I'm not going to go into that again. There's a whole episode on it. Um, So back to the top. Um, Pranayam is very important to me. Uh, The breath is important to me. It's something that changes the lives of the people I work with. Uh, Something as simple as recognizing and bringing attention to the breath is a game changer for so many folks. Um, Lama Losan used to say that the lungs are the gateway to the mind. I think he would still say that now. (laughs) Um, So needless to say, the lungs are important. I'm not going to go too deep. You can do your own research on that. Um, Anyway, I start my pranayam with kapalabhati, or what is also known as fire breath or skull shining breath. Um, I believe kapala means skull. And bati means shining. Um, It's a quick active exhalation and a passive inhalation through the nose, meaning that you're thrusting out, you know, with your diaphragm pulling up, but then the inhalation is because the diaphragm falls back down. Um, I do this for no less than 10 minutes. I set a timer for 10 minutes. And if I can continue going after the bell, um, 
I do. Uh, the the timer I use is just that Insight timer. That's all. Um, just because I like the bell sounds. <laughs> um, it's considered a cleansing exercise. Um, I think most pranayams are. And again, do your own research and check it out. Um, so after I do 10 minutes of that, I do 10 minutes of Nadi Shodhana, or what's commonly referred to as alternate nostril breathing. Um, this practice really calms the mind and oxygenates the blood. All of these, again, all of these breathing practices really soothe the mind and are really good to do before we sit in meditation. Um, you know, not to rant, as he says before he begins to rant. You know, uh, that's something that has been lost in our culture as Westerners. Um, all of these asanas and all of this breath work was meant to prepare the body and mind for meditation. They were never meant to be the sole practice. I mean, if you look at Pantanjali's Yoga Sutras, uh, those are really a guide to meditation. I find it really sad that so many of these individuals that are devoted yoga practitioners and yoga teachers uh, that are doing Hatha Yoga have never read those sutras or, or read any of the Vedas for that matter. Um, even in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is telling Arjuna to sit in meditation and to tame the mind and control the senses. Um, meditation and karma yoga are the name of the game there. And of course, bhakti yoga. Uh, you know, he certainly <laughs> certainly doesn't tell Arjuna to, head, uh, to do a headstand in Target and to put it on Instagram and hashtag it yoga every damn day. Um, but that's our culture's karma, right? The predisposition of our collective minds towards certain attractions and aversions. You know, uh, just something to look at. Anyhow, um, I've digressed as usual. Um, anyway, the last pranayama that I do is ujjayi breath or ocean breath. But I, I do it with a thing called spinal breathing and I add a few things to it. So uh, to briefly explain ujjayi breath... Um, open your mouth slightly uh, and breathe like you're kind of fogging up a mirror by uh, going, ah, right? Um, as you do that, lift your tongue and kind of rest it behind the topper of your teeth, just the way it normally sits. Don't jam your tongue up there. It doesn't need it. But just like when your mouth is shut, your tongue hopefully, I don't know, rests behind the topper of teeth. Um, you'll notice that when you do that as you're exhaling, instead of uh, the breath going out of your mouth, it's kind of, it's rerouted out of your nose, but it's it's your sinuses. It's very strange feeling. It's kind of cool because you don't feel like the hard exhale of breathing out of your nose, but the air is going out of the nose. Um, it's really hard for me to explain this breath, so bear with me. Um, and you'll notice that when you do this, your throat feels smaller it feels, uh, it's kind of like your windpipe became more narrow, which it did. Um, and it's, you know, controlling the breath. So once you've got that, you're exhaling with a, and then you put the tongue up. So it might sound like, it kind of moves it to the back of the throat. Close your mouth softly. Um, now breathe in and out that way. And um, that's ujjayi or ocean breath. And it, it should sound a bit like waves in your head. Don't push. Um, it's not forceful, it's gentle. Um, like when my sinuses aren't right and I do it, it like kind of slams shut if I try to push air too hard. So know that that could happen. It's, I mean, just notice that that might mean, mean you need to clean your sinuses out. 
Um, now, as I do Ujjayi breath, I imagine that I'm breathing up and down the sashumna or spinal column um, in your like, or, or your back. Just if you want to imagine it on your back, like uh, was it the Cylons on um, on the new Battlestar, the old well, the new old one on Sci-Fi, <laughs> how they had that red thing going up and down. Whatever is easier for you. Um, I imagine it going through the tunnel in the spinal column. So my inhale tracks up the spine and my exhale tracks down the spine. So you're breathing in and out of the sashumna or in and out of the, the spinal column. So there's two more things that I do um, that I add to spinal breathing and I'm not sure where I picked these up, but I think I just learned them all separately. And you know, like a good American, I decided to do them all at one time, you know, cause more is better. Um, so one is that I imagine that I'm pulling a ball of light up and down my sashumna as I breathe in and out of my spine. I pull it from the base of my spine up to the crown and then back down the spine. Now, this is interesting because you might notice that the light might either be getting stuck or slowing down around certain chakra points. Um, if you notice that, maybe take a look at that chakra and see if there's something going on in your life right now that might be causing uh, an issue there. Clients at work always find this one to be very interesting. They always find interesting little clues. It's very cool. And then lastly, as uh, these, these last two are not necessary, but, you know, they're not necessary by any means. You don't have to do this. But I like to sometimes, um, I roll my eyes up as I inhale and then relax them as I exhale. Or sometimes I leave them up the entire inhale and exhale. Also, at times I lock my mula bandha or um, on the inhale and leave it locked as I exhale. Or sometimes I might lock it on the inhale, loosen it on the exhale, and that's it. That's how I do ujjayi or spinal breathing. Um, ujjayi is also great to slow the mind down. Like when my mind's kind of a mess, I do it in like a meeting or whatever. Um, you know, I've I, and I do it quietly. I don't need to do it quite, I don't need to do it so loudly. Or even if I'm trying to sit in meditation, my mind's just kind of wild and it's hard to sit still. I'll do that. I use it to kind of rein in, in the mind a little bit. Cause I don't know, I don't know why it works. It just, it just does. <laughs> so those three pranayams set me up for the sitting practice. Um, and I didn't mention it, but I do them all for 10 minutes. I feel like that's a good, uh, it's good to set. It's also, it's a good 10 minutes. I think it's great. Um, and it's always good to set a, a, a timer to kind of hold yourself accountable to the time. Um, you know, if you go on or you go over whatever, that's fine, but at least commit to, to a minimum, right? Whatever the minimum is, you know, sometimes we try to get up you know, early because our heads are messy or whatever. We don't want to sit. We find an excuse. Um, you know, whatever. So um, the next of my daily practices uh, and the last piece of the daily deal for me is shamatha meditation. And I sit for no less than 10 minutes. Again, with all of these, if you want to sit longer, go for it. However, if you find that you're just sitting for long periods of time, take a look at that. Like, would, are you clinging to something? Are you geared towards achievement? Does it feel like an achievement? Do you feel accomplished after that? If so, take a look at it. You know, what's up with the accomplishment? What are you accomplishing? Um, are you avoiding things? 
just feel into it. Look around a bit, you know? I feel like we kind of create this God of cash and prizes uh, scenario with our practices. Um, you know, it's like, I'll do these things, but only if my life gets easier or improves to the point where I would want to create an Instagram account showing others how wonderful things are due to my deep spiritual practice. Look at all of my photos proving it. Um, and hopefully parlay that into a thriving YouTube account where I could, you know, then tell others how to create an, a, a life as abundant, wonderful as mine. I mean, you know, all you have to do is, you know, hover tuning fork over your crown chakra and shove this pink quartz up your ass, all while reciting Om Namo Shivaya. So, sorry for the rant-heavy episode. <laughs> you know, the point of this podcast was to bring a bit of my personality into the infinite spark of being, but uh, that may have been a bad idea. Anyway, um, you know... <laughs> It, seriously, though, we can't make this about getting out of things or escaping life. Life is happening. This is happening. This is the spiritual experience. You started this particular path the second you took birth. You know, so stop trying to get out of it. Like, look it right in the fucking eyes and do it. Remember that Rumi poem that I've said a hundred times that to the unawakened mind, the fire burns and the water is soothing, but to the awakened mind, the fire leads to the soothing quality of of water. So, you know, it's like you throw yourself into the fire. Stop being so fucking scared of everything. Um, I'm sorry. I just, you know, it's like the new age is so egocentric and weird and it's like everybody wants to be special and everybody it's like so many people it's these things where it's like look how special I am and I'm so special I'm gonna help you dude look like I'm flawed um it took me a long time to decide to even say my name associated with this because and I've been very hesitant to even show my face. It's like, I, I just know, you know, how judgmental we are. And I don't know, man. I don't know. Anyway, another very important practice. Uh, this is something that, like, if you don't do anything else, right? Like, you could throw the whole fucking thing away and just, you know... It's hard for me to consider to practice because I like I'm kind of always doing it. It's mantra recitation. I truly believe in the practice. Um, I'll always be faithful to it. It saved me time and time again. The Maha mantra has always been a comfort to me. Um, I can't. Rec um, it's always there for me, no matter how fucked up I am. Um, you know, when my mother was dying, it just flooded my head. I couldn't not think of it, and it was, like, it was just there. And, you know, I, maybe I tricked myself, I don't know, but fucking whatever. It was comforting. <laughs> you know, and I can't recall where I heard this or even if this person was saying the truth, but they were saying that Ramakrishna used to say that chanting Japa was like, you know, throwing seeds on a the mud roof. Like, eventually a tree grows and the roots crack the house open. And I feel that. You know, it's certainly been the case for me. I just, you know, I just stayed faithful and it cracked me open more than once. Like, and it stayed cracked open, obviously, but... 
you know, I also have a deep connection to certain mantras through certain teachers. So it wasn't like I just picked up, I picked it up because it sounded good. In fact, I was very resistant to the Maha Mantra for a while because it didn't align with what I was being taught by Lama Losan. But one day I just stopped resisting it. I'm glad I did. I was trying to like leave it behind and couldn't, just couldn't do it. You know, it just kind of, it stayed with me. I don't know. So um, as far as any asanas I do, they're basic, just Surya Namaskar, Namaskara or whatever, sun, uh, sun salutation poses. I, and I really just do it for the, for the vessel's sake. I, I find that it, it resets my back. Um, I'm not someone who gains a lot of insight from asanas, but I don't know. That's just how I'm wired. We're not all meant to do the same yoga. But, well, I should, you know, I shouldn't say that. I've actually learned a lot about my body doing it which is always important. Um, but I wouldn't say that it's an everyday thing. Like I definitely go through spurts where it's, where it is every day though. I don't know. Um, but actually one thing that I'd like to share that I learned from a woman named Prem Shakti many years ago was that it's not about the depth of the pose, but it's about the integrity of the pose. You know, and I always thought that was good advice, but you know, even with, but even with her pranayama in the sitting practice was more important. And, you know, she was part of Swami Kripalu's crew back in the day. And according to her, like Nadi Shodhana was his main practice. Like she also said he was a boxer, which is pretty neat. Anyway, uh, so finally, I'd like to talk about the things that people don't see as a spiritual practice, but certainly are. Uh, but first, let me say this. In my view, <laughs> this is just my view. A spiritual practice is, that's what it is. It's a practice. And we are practicing for being in our bodies. We are practicing being humans in form and just everything that comes with that, whether it's birth, death, love, loss, all that shit. You know, remember sadness, anxiety, anger, hell, even boredom have a physical sensation. Otherwise they wouldn't matter, right? Like you would just, it wouldn't affect you. So yes, for me, making the body uncomfortable is important to me. Just that's my deal. Now, this is just a theory. And believe me when I tell you that I'm not a scientist. I went to art school, so pff, what the fuck, right? Um, but um, if I'm experiencing this world through my subtle body and then my, my meat body right? Like to, so subtle body into my, you know, meat suit as a soul, like my experience is all as a soul. And that meat body is using its nervous system to do that. Then I feel that the more often I push my body, make my meat suit or meat body uncomfortable, the more it's prepared to handle the assault of sadness, anger, depression, boredom, you know, that affect the nervous system. You know, that's just what I found to be in my, uh, you know, with my own experience over the years was that, you know, if my, when I'm, you know, more physically active and more like physically taxed more often, then I don't know, I handle things a little better. Um, now, how you do that's totally up to you, but that's just my theory. Anyway, so strength training for me uh, is body weight exercises, which I do on a rack that has a pull up bar, dip bars. Uh, bishop's chair. I use bands and kettlebells. Um, and when I'm doing strength stuff, I'm just focusing on the movement and doing the movement slowly. 
But what I've learned is that when I think that I can't do more, I can. <laughs> There's always gas in the tank. When I, when I place my attention on the movement and not let my mind wander off into fear or discomfort, then I can always squeak out a couple more before I'm gassed out. So for me, this translates into emotionally difficult times. When I think I'm at my limit and I feel I'm going to you know, break apart, I can relax into my body regardless of the discomfort. I can focus on the what the, you know, like what, what the next move is and just be with it as it passes. You know, the mantra in those times is just this, right? Like just this movement, just this call, just this hour, or even just this breath, right? Um, lastly, this is a love of mine and probably the most meaningful practice I have right now, and that's running. Um, I'm a barefoot runner, which obviously means that I run barefoot. And yes, I run on roads, sidewalks, trails, all barefoot. Um, sometimes I keep some very thin sandals made by a company called Zero in my vest pouch for when you know I'm somewhere unfamiliar just in case the ground gets kind of sketchy. Or if I'm running in an area that I know the ground becomes very sharp and sketchy, uh, that way I can always just slip them on for a bit. Um, I love barefoot running. It, it gives me so much joy. I, I couldn't tell you how or why, but I love it. Anyway, the lessons I've learned are so vast and vital, but I, and I, but I don't believe that you need to run to understand them, right? First of all, you know, one funny thing is that like I'll step on things and it's, I've learned that it's not, uh, it's, it's not what you step on. It's, it's what sticks to you. That's the problem. So, um, but you know, the roughest lesson is it'll stop hurting once the pain goes away. So be patient. Nothing ever lasts, right? It stops hurting once the pain goes away. Um, I've found that I am more than capable of pushing through some pretty exhausted feelings. Um, I've also found a love for that exhausted feeling. There's joy in it. There's happiness for me in finding a new layer to push through. Now, these aren't massive things. It's kind of like the lessons of tiny gains that I learned in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's like, it's not pushing from five miles to 10 miles. It's smaller than that. It's, it's like the times I absolutely do not want to run. My legs feel fucking heavy. My mind is a mess. I want to go home and just go to sleep. But instead, I just go. I run. And those times are interesting. I find that the more narrow my focus, the better off I am. You know, meaning that you know, I, I ha all I have to do is move my feet and stay upright. Left foot goes here. Right foot goes here. And then I just have to keep doing it regardless of what my mind says and what my body says. I just access that thing. It's, I call it the third thing that's not concerned with the feelings in my body or the commentary of my mind. And I'm not saying to live your life like, you know, live your life like that. But fuck, you, you know what it's like to be exhausted and, you know, having to keep going. You got to keep going even when you're exhausted. You know, the mind will always look for an excuse to take an easier route. Um, I remember feeling really weird one time, like just, I don't know, not into it. And um, I read a meme that said like this moon was going to make you feel exhausted and all this stuff and really tired. I remember I literally tried to talk myself out of running because of the moon. And I was like, that's fucking, I don't know, man, just go. Like, just 
fucking run. Like if it's, if it's bad and it's uncomfortable, then it's bad and it's uncomfortable. Just go. Don't not go. Cause for me that translates into other laziness. Like it's, it's more complicated than this. It's not, this is a mental health thing for me. Like I just have to, I just have to do it. If I don't do it, then other things are going to suffer. Um, the other lesson of running that is applicable, applicable to life is posture. You know, there's postures to running. It's, uh, you know, that it allows the body to be more efficient. And when you first take off on a run, it's easy to maintain the position, you know, of your hips and your back and your shoulders, your chin, but then fatigue sets in, you know, your body starts to compromise itself because it's hard. It's tired. Um, you aren't consciously doing it. You're not deciding to let things fall apart, but they are, things are falling apart. It just, it's, it's just happening. And, you know, the more tired we become, the more we sacrifice the things that are actually making life easier for us. So we have to become very self-aware, constantly checking in. And um, this also works the other way. We become so confident and so comfortable that we slack. We ease up. We get sloppy. And it costs us, right? Um, And I find that all of this applies to the spiritual path, to the practice. And you know, due to our achievement-motivated models of practice, we lose the message and the beauty. And it's, it gets lost with our preferences. The truth of practice, the, what I found to be the ultimate truth, is that we learn the most when we do slack and fall off. So don't be afraid. You know, don't be attached to consistency or perfection. I don't mean that you should just, you know, disregard it all and be a jackass, but fucking take it easy. It's not a federal case. You know, you're already on the path as a human being born here on this planet. You're already going up. Practice just allows you to get there more skillfully. That's all. It, it makes this trip easier for you. Um, I had a good friend uh, tell me once, in the end, it's only you. You're left with yourself. You die in a room filled with people. It's just you. And they're you as well. That's, you know, it's, it's heavy shit. Um, just one thing, looking at itself, watching itself die. So these practice, it's, it's just about you. And if it works for you, do it. You don't have to become a fucking missionary (laughs) and force your family into, you know, into abiding or complying with you. Um, so that's, that's all my practice stuff. You know, that's what I do, I guess. (laughs) If you have questions or comments, always reach out. Um, you know this by now. Um, I'll always engage, even if you're mean. Some of you have found out that even if you're mean, you'll get engagement out of me. You might not like it, but it's there, right? (laughs) Remember, if you're interested in supporting this podcast through Patreon, or you'd like to buy the Infinite Spark of Bean books or shirts, go to theinfinitesparkofbean.com. We've known each other forever. We're old friends, you know, each other's mother and, you know, friend right? We've been mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers. So just say hello. You know, don't be weird about it. 